A quick follow-up along two lines to clarify what I tried to say yesterday. First, as, as a way of setting the context for those reflections, I think it's, it's important, vitally important for us to remember, pay attention to the ways in which we're conditioned to feel about forgetting in our culture. Anne de Formentel, I've been reading her, a French philosopher, she died tragically trying to save someone from drowning. In her book, In Praise of Risk, she talks about the risk of remembering and the risk of forgetting. And she points out the ways in which in modern technological societies, we try to store all memories. We try to archive it. We want it everything museumed. We use technology to record, to take accounts, pictures, to, to store up all that has happened for the sake of memory. But we outsource it to technology. And we, we fear slash are disgusted by forgetting. And that, that's why, and she doesn't talk about this explicitly, but that's why dementia, Alzheimer's patients, those who who lose memory, including some stroke victims, are, are pitied in the way that they're pitied. Uh, John Swinton, whom I did mention last time, has written about this extensively, that we live in a culture that fears forgetting. It fears letting go of the past in that way. But because it fears beginning, fears forgetting, it ends up opening itself up to ways of remembering that, that may not be true or may not be true in the way we need them to be true. And I, I think that's what's happened with photography, with film, with the smartphone, the ways in which we've come to record what is happening, storing those memories, but in ways that aren't true to the experience of the events themselves and, and don't get into our hearts and souls and our bodies in a personal way, those experiences are filtered through to us as experiences we're watching, as experiences that have a kind of surreality or a, a kind of artificial reality to them, even as we're experiencing them. And I, th I think all of that is important background for why it is that we hear the call to forget and, and remember to be present and to be absent, wh why it hits our guts the way it does. Because we, we're, again, we're conditioned never to forget. And that forgetting is somehow pitiable. Right? But it, it's, I think, crucial to come back to the need to forget well. And Duvall Montel, in her book, she talks about the ways in which forgetting is tied to childlikeness and that forgetting is also tied to sleep. It's, it's tied to that. The fact that as human beings, as children, when we're sick and when we're asleep, our bodies are entirely at the mercy of other bodies. We, we are laid out defenseless or more or less defenseless in the presence of, of our neighbors and sometimes in the presence of our enemies. Sometimes our neighbors are our enemies. And that in those moments of forgetting and sleep, we are entering into childlikeness, a vulnerability 
that can be embraced as a gift. So it, it is true, and we shouldn't be naive here. It is true that to be vulnerable means you can be wounded. I mean, that's that's what the word means. It means that you have been wounded. But there is a way of being defenseless before God and before those we love, of being able to move into a posture of openness, of rest, that is essential to growing up in Christ. And that, to connect that to the image I was reflecting on yesterday, the, the warrior God who comes to us as the, the nursing mother, the mother who's just given birth and has now brought that babe to her breast, like that, that's the posture we have to learn that as I was talking with a friend today, that I have to learn uh, all over again. I have to learn to rest in the arms of God and let God care for me. I'm utterly at the mercy of God. And we are all the time. We always are all the time. We're just not always aware of it. But in times of incredible distress and in the times that follow, at least for a while, we're brought aware again of how utterly at risk we all are and how in the midst of all that, what we need most, what will actually protect us against the attacks of the enemy that will assure us against whatever harm is intended is to rest in the presence of God. So I, I think that's really vital context. If you want to read more about it, if you're interested in Andy Fomantel's In Praise of Risk, it's a difficult read, but I think a rewarding one. And I highly recommend everyone read as much as you can by John Swinton on dementia, Alzheimer's, people struggling with mental health. Because what, what Swinton shows us, and these are my words, not his, but what Swinton shows us is that it it's the mind of Christ that sustains us when our minds break, when our minds are are broken. And God's remembering of us sustains us even when we can't remember ourselves, right? So I don't want to romanticize any of this. I don't want to glamorize forgetting. I do think it's important to name the fact that we are conditioned to think of all forgetting as somehow a failure. We do need to recover good forgetting, and we need to remember that there are ways of storing memory that aren't true, that aren't human, and, and we need to be wary about that. So I want to I add that note to what I said yesterday, just to clarify. More importantly, or at least as importantly, I want to make sure that what I said yesterday doesn't get heard as what Robert Jensen calls law and not gospel. It's a kind of Lutheran trope. What he means by that is I, I, we, sh we shouldn't hear the call of Scripture as a call to perform better. We should, we should hear the call of Scripture as a statement about what God is doing, a statement which in and of itself transforms us into participation of what God is doing. So with that in mind, I want, I want to come back to those texts just briefly and, and show the ways in which it's, I was stressing the point at the end yesterday that Mary sees differently, right? That Mary recognizes what is happening with Jesus and that we all need to desire that. We all need to desire to see as Mary saw. But what's happening there is not 
some kind of clenched teeth, clenched fist achievement on her part. She didn't just decide to see what others could have decided to see and didn't. And it's not a case of God somehow singling her out for a gift no one else received. I think it's an invitation for all of us to realize the kind of seeing that is already happening in us. Interestingly, in that passage from De Formentel that I just mentioned, the, the title of the chapter is actually Forgetting Anamnesis. And how fitting is this? I forgot the third word. Deliverance. Forgetting anamnesis and deliverance. And anamnesis, of course, which is just the biblical term for remembering, calls up the Eucharist, which she doesn't name explicitly, although that is clearly on her mind. But I I think it is the Eucharist that teaches us how God remembers and how we are to be remembered. So what, what I was trying to stress yesterday is that it's in the experience of the absence of God, which of course is, is not in fact an absence. It's a presence that's too great for us to name. It's a presence that exceeds our capacity to appreciate at that moment. But in, in what seems to be the absence of God, in that darkness, we are being refashioned. We're being formed like the babe in the womb. And we're being membered, right? In, inside the womb, of God's presence, we our members are knit together. We are remembered. And that's what's happening at the Eucharistic table. So it's when when Jesus says, do this for my remembrance, or do this in remembrance of me, it's vital to remember that, no pun intended, that in biblical language, that's not a looking back on something that has already happened, right? So it, scripture is filled with Israel asking God to remember them, or scripture in sh- promising that God will remember them. and that So to remember in Israel's tradition is to act upon, right? So like in the story of Joseph, when, when the Pharaoh remembers, or the man who Joseph had served remembers Joseph, it, it means not only that a thought returned to his mind, it means that he enacted, he acted faithfully, he enacted a faithfulness because of what they had shared in the past. So one dimension of the celebration of the Lord's Supper, it's not an object lesson that puts us in mind of what once happened. It's not an illustration, right? The bread and the cup, the loaf and the cup, the bread and the wine are not like ways of helping us visualize the meaning of something that happened elsewhere. It is an invocation. It is a praise of God for what God has done, a thanksgiving for what God has done, but it's also the the making present of that God and that act again with us, right? God is remembering what has happened and therefore is acting on us and remembering us, putting us back together, knitting together not just our own lives into a whole, but the whole of us as a body, making making the body of Christ. But there's, there's an even deeper layer, I think, to that line. Do this for my remembrance. And that is, do this so you can learn to remember as I remember. Do this to remember as I do. In the Isaiah passage I mentioned last time, Isaiah 42 and 43, if you read both chapters together, you do get that insistence on from God that, he wants us to know who he is, not just what he's done, but who he is. Because 
he's going to continue doing more than we can imagine, right? It hasn't entered into our hearts what God has prepared for us. And in the reading for Sunday, we stop, at least in the lectionary I use, we stop at verse 21. God will give drink, again, like a mother gathering these newborns to her breast. God will give drink to the people he has formed inside of himself so that they might declare his praise. And his praise is perfected in the in the mouth of these newborn babes. But if you keep reading past that assigned end, you come to this, again, a statement of God's identity. Verse 22, Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob. You have been weary of me, O Israel. You're, you're like a, a fussing infant. You won't nurse. You've not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You've not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. And then God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So here's a kind of divine forgetting. Right? Here's a way in which God does not remember. So what does it mean for God not to remember or for God to forget our sins? It doesn't mean, of course, that God is amnesiac, right? It doesn't mean that God wipes away something he once knew. I mean, God's memory is not faulty, but God doesn't have a memory. Right? This, this is where a good, robust doctrine of God will protect us from a lot of nonsense. God doesn't have a mind in that sense. God is knowing and the source of knowing. God is knowing and beyond knowing. So God doesn't have a memory. God doesn't remember in that way, in the way that we do. Our remembering is a vague, distant reflection of what it means for God to remember. And what, what it means for God to remember or forget is for God's knowing to make things what they are. So what's being promised when he does not remember our sins or when he forgets them is the promise that we will exist in his knowing of us and his knowing of us will not take our sins into account. That when God knows me, he does not know me as I'm defined by what I have done wrong, by what I've done and by what I've left undone. He does not define me in relation to the wickedness that is in me. He can search that out and he can know it in the ways in which it is keeping me from being myself. God only knows sin in the sense that he sees the ways in which it's left us deficient when compared with the ways in which he knows us. So when God looks at me, he sees me as I am. And anything that's less than me being true to myself, God recognizes as the effect of sin in my life. You know, that that in, in some churches, certainly the churches I grew up in, there was this notion that God can't stand to look at sin and so has to look away from Jesus at the cross and that God would be disgusted by us because we are sinners, but he sees us through the lens of Jesus and therefore can call us beloved. But that's all BS. I mean, that that's utterly misleading. If there is any context in which that has any truth, it, it would be hard to find, right? We need to put that out of our heads, right? It's not that God is in some way disgusted by me when he looks at me. God is disgusted by 
what sin is doing to me, disgusted by sin, but his knowing of sin is in contrast with what he, with what he knows of me. And what he knows of me is my being. So what's being promised when he says, I will remember your sins no more, is to say, it is, is a promise to Israel. They will grow up into who they're called to be. They will find their footing and they will be able to stretch out into the fullness of their calling. They'll, they'll, they'll be realized. Their promise will be realized. The future that is intended for them will be theirs. And that's what's being promised to us. And all of that is being given at the, at the Eucharist. Do this for my remembrance. This is the way that God remembers us. This is how God knows us as people who share at his table. I think if we can remember that, if we can forget everything else as defining us, like stressing the point that we, we are defined not by what has happened to us or by what we tell ourselves about what has happened to us. We're defined by the ways in which God knows us and that we are, we are coming to learn to know ourselves the way we are known. And to do that, we have to know how to not remember the former things, right? To forget the former things and to forget God, the, the way we've thought about God and about ourselves in the past so that this new thing God is doing, which is what God has always been up to, will emerge, right? And once we get that, once we get our minds around that, I think, we start to realize how sick it is that we are trying to store memories. It is a kind of grasp for divinity, like trying to store everything. We don't have to, right? There is one who remembers. And so we, we don't have to remember everything. God does that work. And we can be like the nurse at the, at, at the mother's breast. So I'll leave you with that. Hopefully that clarifies and kind of sets the context for what I said yesterday. And pray for me. I am going to try and travel this weekend. Uh, I've canceled a lot of things I, this, this weekend, though I am still planning to travel and speak at Beacon in New York with them. Um, Father Bill Dendrino. So pray for me, pray for the church, pray that I, for my family, as I'm sure they'll be worried about me. And thanks for all your support. I'll give you next week when I do the reflections, Lord willing, I'll, I'll give you an update about how that went.